Hey, you're listening to Naptime Investigations, a true crime podcast. What we're about to discuss is likely disturbing and contains mature content with the use of adult language and the occasional mom joke. Listener discretion is advised. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram at Naptime Investigations or Twitter at Naptime underscore podcasts. We're your hosts. I'm Taylor. And I'm Amanda. We're just a couple of internet mom friends who like to talk about true crime and conspiracies when we can get our children to sleep. Thanks for being our kind of person and joining us to talk about what normal people think isn't appropriate for small talk. Losers. Lame. Hey. Hi. We're here. It's us. It is us. Amanda and Taylor. Today, this case, this case, I am so excited about this case. I am? I am. This is a cool case. It is the Peter Porco case. So this attack happened on November 15th, 2004. Family's alarm was disabled using the master code around 2 a.m. Then, right after it was disabled, the panel was actually hit and destroyed with an axe after the code was entered. So the code was entered to turn it off. So no one was, it was 2 a.m. Peter and his wife, Joan, were sleeping. And the code was entered. So it didn't go off and it didn't wake him up. So, um, but we didn't find that out till later into the investigation. But so originally it looked like it was kind of just hit and. Mm-hmm probably assumed to be disabled that way originally. Joan and Peter were attacked in their bed while sleeping with an ax that actually belonged to the family. It was kept in the garage, I believe. It was a massacre. Oh no. Like it was just so bloody and so brutal. Literally two people taking an ax to their head, neck, face while they were sleeping. Jesus. Um, And a few hours later, around 5 a.m., the phone line was actually cut outside of the home. So all of this, what are are you thinking? Are you thinking that this looks like a staged attack or anything? Or are you thinking that this is just... What are your initial thoughts when you hear those things? Do they have kids? They do have kids. It sounds like a personal attack to me. A very personal attack. And anger. It doesn't sound like something... premeditated it sounds like not a crime of opportunity okay i asked you that because when i first started researching this i was like oh my god this screams like a setup this screams like it was personal this person knew you know Mm -hmm. um so we'll get back into that okay so that happened on november 15th the next day when peter didn't show up to work his co-workers were really concerned about him it was super unlike peter We'll go into a little bit more about him in a little while, but it was very much unlike Peter. And um, so they attempted to get a hold of him and they couldn't really get a hold of him. So a little bit about Peter and Joan. Peter was 52 and Joan was 54. Peter was a state appellate division court clerk. Didn't really know what that was at all. So I looked it up and they performed like, administrivia task <laughs> in the in the justice system so they assist judges and lawyers they maintain court records administer oaths to witnesses and jurors uh, authenticate copies 
um, of court orders and judgments and stuff like that. And they'll like provide like the court seal and stuff when necessary. Joan is, was, she definitely was at the time. I do not think she's working. She did survive the attack. Spoiler alert. (laughs) So Joan was, or I don't think she still is, but she was a children's speech pathologist. Um, And they lived in Del Mar, New York, which is upstate New York, not far from Albany. Um, They have two sons, Jonathan, who was 23 at the time. He was a lieutenant in the Navy. He was, um, he worked on a submarine. So he was under the sea a lot of the time. Under the sea. (laughs) Under the sea. Under the sea. Um, And then there was Christopher, their younger son, who was 21. He was a student at the University of Rochester. So let's go back to that finding the bodies. I just want to talk about them really quickly. Okay. So when Peter didn't show up to court that day, the, the day for work, they knew something was wrong. They called in, they couldn't contact him, anything like that. So they were concerned. So they actually sent a court police officer to check on his well-being. They sent him to the home. So the officer knew something was wrong immediately, like instantly, because when he walked up to the door, it was ajar a little bit. It was cracked open. There was a key in it and there was blood everywhere. Like I said, Joan had survived the attack, but she was still in bed and had a lot of trauma. She lost one of her eyes. Part of her skull was missing. She suffered a lot of facial deformities and her jaw was crushed. Like literally, like she was so deformed that they like, but when paramedics arrived, they they described like trying to give her oxygen and they didn't even know like where to put it where to put it and like if it was going in or if it was going to her lot like it was they actually thought she was dead like at first they were just like absolutely not she's dead and then like somehow I don't remember I think like someone saw her move or something and then they were like oh my god like she's alive like we need to um so that that's how bad it was she was um and Peter so this is this is this is the cool part. Buckle up, kids. This is the part I'm excited about. Uh, hashtag bodies are cool. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. I remember you. Oh, my God. I just got you. Okay. 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 Peter actually got up that in the morning. Sometime in the morning, his brain went into autopilot. He was attacked with an axe 16 times. But his brain just knew that his morning routine so he went to the bathroom he attempted to shave and get in the shower he got dressed and ready for work he literally like put on his work clothes over all of his injuries he uh went down the stairs loaded the dishwasher made himself some breakfast i'm stressed he went outside to grab the paper grab the newspaper outside oh my god i want to remind you he was struck with an axe 16 times in the head so when the, remember how I said the court uh, police officer went and he knew something was wrong immediately? Yeah. He saw the blood that, that Peter, or, that Peter was just tracking all over and the door was ajar. So he called 911 and he actually, Peter died right as soon as he got inside, oh. inside the house. He ended up dying due to massive amounts of blood loss. And he was leaving a trail of blood doing all of those activities that I just mentioned right. throughout the morning. Oh my God, they ran the dishwasher with all the blood. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was just blood everywhere. 
Peter actually could do this, and this is why bodies are cool. He could actually do this because his neurocortex was badly damaged, and the neurocortex actually controls higher brain function, like sensory perception, sure, uh, cognitive stuff, reasoning, language. But Peter's paleocortex was fully intact and seemingly almost undamaged. So the paleocortex actually controls habits and instinct, like putting your brain into autopilot to do a routine that you may do like every day, like getting dressed, making breakfast, loading the dishwasher, grabbing the newspaper. It was just literally his body knew that's what he had to do. That is wild. So if he had been found sooner, do we think he would have survived? My personal instinct is that he probably would have been brain dead even if they would have been able to save him i'm not a doctor right but just based on a judge yeah just just a judge i just um doctorate of law judge judge amanda judge amanda um i I don't have a doctor of law guys because like his neurocortex controls higher brain function like i said like there's cognitive reasoning language I, i think that he maybe would have I don't, maybe, brain dead may be an extreme, but definitely never the same. For sure. To maintain a quality of life. So mind-blowing and crazy that he, his body could even do it. I'm shook. So Joan was actually only struck three times with all that damage. Remember, she was so damaged. But Peter was struck 16 times. Joan could not get up because of parts of her that were injured. But Peter was struck so many more times and he still could do it. That's nuts. So the detectives on the scene uh, noticed that Joan was still alive and they took the opportunity to talk to her. So after they noticed she was alive, she was present enough to identify an attacker. No. So the detective. It was the son. Chris Bodish actually knew the family because he worked with them in the past. There was a break in to their house two years prior and he was actually the detective who worked with them on that so he knew joan and peter it's reported that the detective asked if a family member committed the crime and she shook her head yes no he asked if their son jonathan did it and she shook her head no and then the officer asked if their younger son chris did it and she shook her head yes Ah! and i want to note Uh, it's reported that multiple people saw her shake her head yes and no for the apparent questions. Sure. And confirming that it was Chris that did it. And I do want to say that she was able to listen to commands and answer other questions. Okay, yeah, I was going to ask if they did like baseline tests, something like that. So I don't know if they specifically did that before or she was responding to things that the paramedics and people were telling her to do and stuff. So she was, she was with it enough to understand the questions. And like I said, multiple people saw her shake her head. Yes. That she knew who did it. Shake her head. No, that it was Jonathan and shake her head. Yes. That it was Christopher. Joan was taken to the hospital and placed in a medically induced coma. And when she was actually taken out of it, she claims that she did not remember the attack at all. This did, she thought her son Christopher was innocent and wasn't capable of something to this magnitude. So time being, being asked, she said that it was Christopher, but once she was actually out of the medically induced coma, she ended up changing her story. So I want to hop to the investigation. For obvious reasons, Chris was their 
their main suspect and it, that's who they thought that it was, he was the subject of their main investigation. They really thought it was him because, you know, Joan said it was him. But he claims that he learned about the attack on his parents through a really odd way. Chris reports that he was supposedly alone in his dorm room when a reporter called him asking for a comment on the murder of his parents. What? What? So he called the police station in his parents' jurisdiction to get information. And that's when he learned that his mom survived the attack. Police Dispatcher, Shaggy North. Hi, uh, my name is Chris Porco. I was just called by the Times Union saying that my parents were found dead this afternoon. Um, I was wondering if you had any information for me. Hey, Chris, whereabouts are you? I'm at school in Rochester, New York. Okay, are, are you in a dorm there? Yes, I am. Okay. Do you have a dorm name or...? Um, it's called Monroe. Okay. And you're hearing from the Times Union? Yeah, they called me and said my, my parents were found, um, I guess, I don't know, they didn't say how or anything. Let me try and find you somebody who may have some more information for you. Okay. Uh, now, as far as, when was the last time you said you came down and saw your parents? Uh, about three weeks ago. I, it was on the weekend. I can't give you a day. I have to, I have to figure it out. I'm not really sure. Okay, but about three weeks ago? Yeah. Okay, and the email, what, what's going on with your email? You said you, um, you, you well, emailed him today, but you didn't get a, a response? Yeah, I, I emailed him this afternoon. Uh, my dad at work. Okay. Um, about uh, college loan stuff. Okay. You're going to go right to Albany Med? Uh, I don't know. Where, where, I don't even know where my mom is. But... Yeah, she is at Albany Med. Okay. Do, do you know her condition? Uh, in... No, because I haven't talked to her. Let me give you my pager number. Okay. Because uh, when you get there, I'll come and see if there's anything I can do for you. Okay. All right? Yeah. Okay, thanks. Yep. Bye -bye. And I'm sorry, where did they live? Where where were they? Where was their body found? Their bodies found? They were found in the home. They were um, in right outside of Albany. Okay. He sounds so nonchalant. That was wild. So what are your thoughts on that uh, 911 call? He definitely sounds very nonchalant about it. And almost no concern about his, like if i got a call that my parents were dead i'd be like yo what the fuck is going on like where are my parents what's going on like can somebody go check on them like what's happening also how does the media know about this before he knows about it that and don't you think he'd be a little more excited when you found out that like one of your parents survived right exactly so there's that so he told investigators that on the night of the attack, so 11-14, so this, he found out about the attack and that he goes to the hospital, he goes home and they start talking to him, you know? Sure. He told investigators that on the night of the attack, he fell asleep in the lounge of his dorm and like the dorm building. And he woke up the next morning, like he just was in the lounge and he happened to fall asleep on like a beanbag chair or something. Oh. Chris was completely open, which is weird, but then again, like, you think back to um, my dorm days, and I um, I remember I was um, at a friend's dorm, and the roommate and his girlfriend actually like there, it was like really hot in the dorm because there was like no AC, but one of the lounges had like the huge beanbag chairs, and there was AC in there, so they ended up sleeping in there one night. So like at first I was like, that's weird, that's not gonna happen. But then I was like, mm, maybe 
Maybe. It's possible, yeah. Let I me, guess that's a different perspective. The, I'm like, hell no. Yeah, on my bed. Give, yeah, let me give him the benefit of the doubt. Anyway, sure. also that was in New York too. So I don't know if that was the New York thing, but uh, anyway. Who knows? Anyway, anyway, so he says he woke up the next morning. Chris was completely open to investigators and interviews and everything like that. Um, and he appeared to have no issues with anything. Like, no, like, don't ask me about this. Like, secretive or anything like that he agreed to let them take dna and do a physical exam and there was no evidence on his being at all that indicated that he would have been involved you know i mean with an axe attack you think that it's it's really violent potentially getting cuts anything like that blood you know like the next day you're assuming i I don't know um there was no blood and i do want to know so there was no, I say that a lot. I want to know. There was, there was no blood in the house that did not belong to Peter or Joan and no fingerprints left on the ax or what? in the crime scene. The crime scene, the ax was actually left in the crime scene. I think it was like left in the bedroom or something. The police did search Christopher's Jeep for blood, but they f- didn't find anything. And we'll, we'll talk about that later. So they're investigating. They, search his car they don't release the they see no blood they search the crime scene no fingerprints fingerprints no blood that would indicate that he was there literally it seemed like no one was there other than the two people that were attacked right so christopher had a jeep like i just said bright yellow big wheels raised jeep like it's a jeep like Like a jeep jeep a jeep jeep so um, a New York throughway toll collector said a yellow Jeep with large tires went through his station around around 1045 on November, November 14th. It cannot be confirmed if it was Chris by the plates, but another collector at a different station remembered the yellow Jeep fitting the description of Chris's Jeep going through the toll plaza the opposite way, going towards school. So the first one was going towards his parents house towards the house and then back so 10:45 the evening before there was a jeep fitting his description going towards his parents the opposite way earlier that morning going towards school chris did have an easy pass but there was no records of him using it that night convenient but they did find a toll ticket in chris's jeep with chris's dna on it for that night shut up Multiple cameras at the University of Rochester recorded a yellow Jeep fitting his description, leaving campus around 10.30 a.m. or 10.30 p.m. on the 14th and returning to campus at 8.30 a.m. the next morning. He said he was just moving his Jeep to move it to a different parking lot. Don't know. Twice? And don't know. A neighbor of the Porcos did tell investigators that they saw a yellow Jeep Wrangler in the family's driveway on the evening of the attack, like late evening. Uh, and no other student, no student, like period, his roommate, no one can verify that they saw Chris in the lounge sleeping that night. Oh my God. During the investigation, police found out that Peter and Joan recently took out life insurance policy policies totaling over a million dollars. Oh my God. Upon further investigation, Christopher was seeking financial advice and telling people 
He was about to inherit over a million dollars from a family member. Police in the case investigated over 600 leads, but everything just kept leading back to Christopher. Literally everything. So they're literally trying to do actual police work and yeah. it's still leading back to him. Uh-huh. Literally everything is just pointing to Christopher. So a little bit about Christopher. And this is where all of those shady things get even shadier. Oh, no. Yeah. Christopher Porco was 21 at the time. He was a student at the University of Rochester. This is about roughly 200 miles from the home. I think it was like 235 miles or something like that. Um, It's a little over 200 miles. Christopher was at school when the attack happened, supposedly, but he was definitely at school when his family was found the next morning when, when Peter never showed up for work. He claimed to have learned about his parents' attack when a reporter approached him, like we said earlier. Uh, Christopher wasn't the most social person. He seemed to be very awkward. Uh, he would try to portray a life that he never lived. He told people that he came from money. He lived in a waterfront home and had his family had multiple houses and stuff like that. He bought a brand new Jeep and he raised it. And he, he was he was doing that to like, continue that facade i guess almost i don't know sure. if that's the word that i want to use but um he just wanted people to think that this is what he was he did everything to maintain that stories and new cars and whatever else it was just weird chris stole from his parents on multiple occasions he stole a few computers and a few laptops and desktops he sold things he took off ebay on ebay he sold things that anything he could really on ebay ebay actually even went as far as freezing his account because he regularly sold quote unquote things to people but wouldn't send them and people finally started complaining oh my god it got so bad that he his brother jonathan actually had the same address listed so they had their parents address listed as is their home and his account was frozen too because it was linked to Christopher's cat. Right, right. And it was like, no, you guys must be the same person or whatever. During the investigation, police were looking at the eBay history and saw that Christopher pretended to be Jonathan on a few occasions and reached out to people and say that his brother, Christopher, had died, told people that he had died and that he couldn't send the stuff out, but like never refunded the money. So he would tell people like, hey, the seller was my brother. Like he passed away. You're not going to get your crap sorry dude oh my god yeah chris didn't only have trouble um with selling things and stealing things he ran into issues with school he was kicked out of the university of rochester where he went at the time of the murder due to bad grades in the fall of 2003 and he had to go to the community college before reapplying to the university he lied. I want to talk about that for a second. He lied to everyone. He told everyone that like a professor messed up and that's why he failed due to bad grades. It wasn't because he was just a shitty student. He said that someone like miss put in his grade or like forgot to put in a grade or something. And that's why he got kicked out. So he had to go to the community college and to get back in to the university of Rochester he forged his transcripts from the community college to even be accepted back into the school. Like he was not, he was not 
good news. So he knew how to cover up. So, and remember how I said the detective working the homicide knew the family? Yeah. From all the, the robberies that happened in the home? They were really Christopher. I figured. So we're going to talk about the family dynamic for a moment. There had been an ongoing tension between Chris and his parents for multiple reasons. Although their issues weren't new, they were definitely growing and increasing. And it was just becoming even more toxic as the days went on. Chris had, he had betrayed them. Right. Took out loans. He betrayed them before, but even more. Chris took out loans for his college tuition and forged his father's signature as a co-signer. Okay, but in that call, he mentions that he needed to talk about school loans. So the loan he took out to be readmitted into school was $31,000. Jesus. He lied to his parents saying that the school was actually like wiping his tuition free for that semester or something because the professor had misplaced his grades or whatever and that's why he had to get so he lied to his parents too yeah so he lied to his parents as well saying like oh yeah they're just gonna let me go for free this semester because the they messed up last when they kicked me out and blah blah let's be real um even if professors do mess up schools will never let you do anything for free right like no it's not that's not how that works so about so about two weeks before the attack peter actually emailed Chris about forging his signature uh, on the student loans. Not only did Christopher take out money for tuition, remember that that brand new Jeep that we talked about? Yeah. He took out a line of credit for that as well, so a loan, and forged his father's signature on that. Which, how do you do that? I'm so confused. Can't, you can't just like be like, oh yeah, they, they said it was fine. You know what I'm saying? Like he had his social, he signed. Like I've always had to like, have someone watch you sign like my husband are on the same car like they had to people had to watch us both sign it's not like I could bring the papers home to have him sign or something right so yeah he was using his father's social and and signing for him to be a co-signer on loans for him so Peter reached out to Chris about forging his signature and he emailed him and the reason he emailed him is because they were trying to call him and he wasn't answering or calling him back so one of the emails said, did you forge my signature as a co-signer? What the hell are you doing? I'm calling Citibank this morning to find out what you have done. And I'm going to tell them I'm not going to be a co-signer. And it went on, but that was one of the emails. And when was this? This was two weeks before the murder. Jesus. When Peter contacted the bank, he was told that Chris... So he didn't know about the Jeep at this point. He knew that he got a Jeep, but he didn't know that he was on the Jeep as well. So when he called the bank, he was told that Chris had also put him on a loan to get a new Jeep with Peter as a co-signer. So not only was he pissed about the loan for the school stuff, but the car just kind of added to it. After Peter attempted to call him again, but he didn't answer, both Joan and Peter were calling him for weeks and he just wouldn't return their calls. And clearly like that's, he knew that he was caught and just, yeah, fucked. Fucked. He was fucked. Because that's, he can go to prison for that. Mm-hmm. So, P- 
Peter emailed him again, letting him know that if he had forged his signature again or used his credit, he would file forgery charges. He should have done it on principle. Right? Um, he did end the email. So he actually ended up getting him, his name taken off it for some reason or something. I don't know how he did it. But he did end up ending, he ended the email though with, we may be disappointed with you, but your mother and I still love and care about your future. That's so sad. So although like his parents were so upset with him, like they clearly were not, we're done with you. Like no more. Kind right. Of I mean, as a parent, like you don't mm-hmm. disown your child over they fuck up. Yeah. But like, you still love your kid. Yeah. You just want them to do better. Yeah, definitely. So November 5th, oh my God, wearing glasses and headphones is painful too much yeah uh it's fine who needs to read um november 5th 2005 almost a year after the attack chris was indicted for the murder of peter his father and the uh, the attempted murder of his mother joan jesus late in 2000 and uh november 2005 a closed session probable cause hearing was held Probable cause hearings or a preliminary hearing happens after the filing of charges. During this, during the hearing, the court hears testimony to determine the likelihood that the defendant has committed the crime or crimes. If the court finds probable cause, then the case can proceed to trial. So just kind of wanted to make sure everyone knew what that was. During the, the trial, DA Paul Klein was able to get the go-ahead to continue with the trial against uh, Christopher Porco in the murder of his father and the attempted murder of his mother. So not only was he indicted in November, but he actually got the go-ahead to to continue with the trial a year after the attack. So the trial began in on June 28, 2006, and it was moved from Albany to Orange County due to media coverage, which Not a huge, huge difference, but it's big enough, you know. The prosecution claimed that Christopher Porco disabled the alarm and then cut the phone lines to make it look like a home invasion. Jonathan Porco, so he testified that him and his brother had a strained relationship. It wasn't good. And he was very, it's reported that he was really icy, I guess, towards his brother and just cold. And Mm -hmm. he thinks his brother did it. Like it wasn't. It wasn't surprising. Yeah. And area of question is how there is no blood found in Chris's Jeep after such a brutal attack and the the defense for Chris actually highlighted that. Uh, But the police have a theory on that and it's a great theory in my opinion. (laughs) Chris actually worked at a veterinary clinic cleaning up post-surgeries, bloody messes, and things like that and that would have provided him with ideal skills. Right to clean up accordingly and to not leave a trail of a bloody mess after he attacked his family. When I saw that, I was like, he did it. I mean, like, I didn't have questions after that or before that, but so Joan actually also testified in the trial. So I do want to say he, she also was like, went into the courtroom with him and was very like visibly supportive of him and everything. She claims to have it's claimed that she had smiled at him and like as she was going up there like very motherly it's her baby 
you know, poor woman. But Joan testified and she was asked about general family questions, but she did not claim Chris was the attacker in, in her questions. He has the only motive, right? The defense argued that there was no physical evidence linking Chris to the attack. And it should be said that there was no fingerprints or anything like that, which I mean, it was a family act. So like there could have been potentially fingerprints on there from before with any of the family members, but there was no fingerprints left. And it was so bloody, it said. Uh, The defense argued that the attack could have been linked to Peter's uncle, actually, he had, uh, Frank Porco actually had belonged to the Bambino crime family in New York City, and Frank had served time in the prison, and in prison, not in the one prison, because there's only one prison in New York. Uh, he served time in prison for being a loan shark, for extortion, and for not, uh, not being a witness, so I don't really know if he would have flipped on but people. But does he have a motive? Like, and also not only that, but the fact that there was no fingerprints found at the scene or anything does not surprise me because who's to say that he didn't bring gloves with him from the veterinary clinic? Mm-hmm. So I think people were reaching for the the uncle thing because they used to call him like Frank the fireman, whatever, and he they were killed with an axe. So like, the defense was trying to get something out there. They tried, but... Yeah. Swing and a miss. Uh, deliberations actually started on August 10th. The, um, in the same day, Christopher Porco was found... Porco. Christopher Porco was found... I kept hearing Parco and Porco, so that's why I have that, like... Okay. Yeah. So, Christopher Porco was found guilty of second-degree murder and attempted murder. On December 12th, 2006, Judge Jeffrey Berry sentenced Christopher to 50 years to life on each count, totaling a minimum of 50 years. The judge said, I fear very much what happened in the early hours of November 15th is something that could happen again. Christopher Porco will be eligible for parole in uh, December 2052. Jeez. Chris attempted to appeal his conviction two times, but were both denied. Uh, one other thing I want to say is that Joan still stands by Chris in his innocence. Uh, she actually even wrote a letter to a local newspaper urging police to leave Chris alone, leave their family alone, and actually look for the real killer and her attacker. She said that, like, my son could not do this, and I know, I know that it wasn't him, so, like, please look for the attacker but um she still stands by him today and that's he's still in jail rightfully so as wild yeah uh he did it Mm -hmm. let's just be clear about that yeah that is wild i mean also as a mom though too like you don't want to believe that your son did something like that like yeah i don't want to believe it but best believe if my child attacked me right but also too i mean yeah she could have said that he did it but then after she woke up the trauma in her brain like it could have easily erased that memory oh 100 so in her defense like she was in a medically induced coma and she is jacked up so she genuinely could not remember maybe like like i'm not saying that that's not a thing and you know right oh for sure if she doesn't so 
I would like to say if I'm in that situation, I don't remember and there's no evidence. I would like to probably think that I would defend my son too. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Either way, like it's a crazy case. And the fact that um, <sighs> Peter did all the things he did after he was attacked that is, is nuts. Mind blowing. It was actually, fuck. There's actually a case in um, Australia where a guy attacked his family with an axe and he looked up this case before he did it. That's how I found this case. Shut up. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the case. Of the- oh my God. Mm-hmm. People are nuts. So yeah. Well, thanks for joining us, everyone. Don't kill your parents. Yeah. Yeah. Don't kill anyone. If you're going to kill someone, kill pe- bad people. Don't kill people. Don't kill people. But just don't don't kill people. Don't kill people. Don't let me kill let me take the bed. Just don't kill people. I'm gonna take it that. back. <laughs> um, cool. Thanks, y'all. That's bad. Bye. We hope you join us every Monday for our weekly episode. And as an added bonus, we've deemed the first Sunday of every month as Serial Killer Sunday. So you can look forward to an extra long episode about our favorite serial killers once a month. Go follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Naptime Investigations or Twitter at Naptime underscore podcast. If you want us to cover one of your favorite cases, please send your case suggestions to naptimeinvestigations at gmail.com or via the case suggestion link in our Instagram bio. As always, we hope you enjoyed this episode and thanks for joining this party.